Good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? Good. I want to thank you guys for worship today and for that last song, man. That's powerful stuff. Thank you so much. Thank you. Once again for our worship team. Praise God. Well, hey, we're glad you're here. I'm Pastor Kurt McWilliams. I'm not going to go through my whole intro again like I usually do, but Pastor Ray, thanks for knocking out of the park. Great job today. Uh, grateful to be here and just get an opportunity to share God's word with you today. Are you ready to receive what the Lord has for us? Good, I am. Grab your Bibles and hold them high. Uh, at Impact Youth, we, we, just, we encourage you to use whatever you got. So I'm okay if you use your phone. Uh, I'm okay if you use your tablet. I'll be preaching today, New King James Translation from my Kindle. So whatever it is, that's quite all right. Let's make this declaration together. Say, Father in heaven, thank you for this word. I believe it's the absolute truth. I believe it's your personal love letter to me. And I receive it. Today, my ears are ready to hear your word. My heart is ready to receive your word. And I, by faith, am ready to be a doer of the word, no matter what comes my way. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, as we approach your word today, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let me only say what you would have me say today, and let me only do what you would have me do. We ask these things today in the name of Jesus, and all who agreed said, Amen. Amen. Well, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever heard of the saying, um, the rain falls on the just and the unjust? Raise your hand. Okay. Now, kind of, I'm kind of an interactive guy, so if I ask you a question, don't be ashamed to shout out at me. I can handle it, okay? Uh, so I want to know this. Who could explain that to me? Just kind of shout out an answer. What, what does that mean? The rain falls on the just and the unjust. What do we mean when we say that? We all have problems. What? It happens to all of us? Common grace. Good. How many of you have interpreted that personally as we all have problems. Bad things happen to good and bad people. How many of you have interpreted it like that? Okay. You know, did you know that those are actually the words of Jesus? Did you know that that saying that we know that we have come to use actually comes from the scripture and those are actually the words of Jesus, but it's only part of what he's communicating to us. See, many of us just, just know that phrase, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And when calamity comes, we say, oh, you know what? The rain falls on the just and the unjust. But I want to mess with your theology today. I want to mess with our thinking today. Because as Pastor John has been bringing this series on how good God is and how much he loves us, this scripture jumped out at me and I realized, wow, I have not seen the complete truth of this scripture. Are you ready to learn what this actually means? Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. And when you get there, just shout at me and say, I got it. Matthew 5, verse All right. Let's read it here together. Jesus is speaking now. I know that because in my Bible, the words are in red. If you didn't know that, well, that's Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
So already Jesus is talking in the context of how we treat our enemies. We get, that's important to keep that in our mind. Jesus is communicating to, you know, it's important when we read the Bible to not take a scripture out of context. You know, that's where the problem begins with our theology and our thinking is if we take the scripture out of context. So right now, what we're about to read, we have to remember the framework that Jesus is communicating to us. The context that Jesus is speaking to us is how we ought to treat our enemies. Verse 43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, you shall love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Why? That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Watch this now. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. You starting to see this a little bit now? For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You see, we use this phrase oftentimes in our life, and we have heard this phrase. Many of us have grown up in our culture with this phrase, and we use it in a time of calamity. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Jesus is communicating something different to us here. He's not communicating anything at all about calamity. You see how it's important to take a good look at where the scripture is and what the context of it is? You know, Jesus is talking to a people who understand agriculture. He's talking to a people who understand farming and fishing. A lot of times today, we like when we preach our gospel, we like to talk about farming and fishing. Well, guess what? Jesus was talking about farming and fishing because that was culturally relevant to the time period where he was. So when we're preaching our gospel, just a little, as a little sidebar, we ought to be culturally relevant to the people that we're ministering to. You know, there's an old saying that if you can't communicate to a six-year-old, you probably don't actually know what it is that you believe. You know, we, we, as we get older, how many of you learn from your kids? Anyone like me have young kids? Man, sometimes I think I'm so smart. I'm like, man, I got this thing down. And they just come out of nowhere with, boom, this. And I'm like, how do you know that at three or four or five or seven? God is teaching me through my child. What did Jesus say? Unless you become like a child. Okay, so just as a little sidebar, when we're communicating to people in our culture, we ought to be culturally relevant. We ought to speak in a way that they understand and not try to shoot over their head. Right? So Jesus is talking to people who understand farming and fishing. These are people who understand agriculture. They understand fishing because that is their main primary resource of food and supply during this time. So let me ask you a question. With that in our, in our frame of mind. When you have planted a seed in the soil, what two things do you need for that seed to germinate and grow? Sun and rain. Okay, is this starting to sink in now? Jesus isn't saying, hey, when calamity comes, you need to remember that everyone's the bad things happen to good and bad people. Listen, Jesus did say in John 15, in this life you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. But that is not what he is saying here. Jesus is saying, God is so good. Now listen, I like call and response. So we're going to do this. 
I'm going to say God is so good. Every time I say that, you're going to say, how good is he? God is so good. Oh, we don't even have to do it again. We're going to do it again just for fun. God is so good. God is so good that he even loves his enemies. What Jesus is communicating here is that God is so good. He doesn't even withhold the sun and the rain, which you need for your crop to grow from his enemy. That's how good God is. That's what Jesus is saying to us. You see, during this time period, the people understood God as Lord. They understood him as master. They understood him as God. When Jesus showed up on the scene 2,000 years ago, what he was bringing to us, the whole reason he came was to show us Father. 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 Yes, he came to die on the cross and pay for our sins so we could be redeemed to Father. Father. Jesus is saying to us, God is so good. Oh, you got it. You got it. Amen. Right there, sister. God is so good. He even loves his enemies. Now, we're going to walk this out today. Because it's not just enough that we know how good God is. Let's go back to the scripture. What does it say here? Let's read it again together with this new frame of mind. Okay. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Why? That you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. I love this because what we're actually beginning to see is that it's not good enough for us just to know how good God is. But God has two desires. God's desire for us, number one, is that we know him as he really is. That we know him as he really is. God's second desire is that we be like him. That we be like him. That's that's it. If you're wondering what God is requiring of you, if you're wondering what God is looking for or looking for out of you, he just wants you to know him. You know, we struggle with this idea of God being so good because our culture has taught us, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Now, how many of you like me have had to learn that the hard way? Come on, put your hands up. You know it. Don't lie. We're in church. Don't lie. It's an interesting story because, you know, I'm about to, my daughter just turned seven. We had her birthday party yesterday, about six years ago. About six years ago, when our oldest daughter was uh, just about one years old, you know, my wife and I, we had this Toyota Camry. I love this thing. I was my first car. It was a 1990 Toyota Camry. And, and I was told, man, if you get a Toyota, you could drive that thing right into the ground. The body will fall apart before the engine goes. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, that is true. And I had this car, man. This car was so old. Now, you know, my wife, we dated in the car. We took road trips with this car. We got married. This is our first car. But this car was getting old, man. This car was, I mean, this car was so old. And I kid you not, a lot of times young people think, because my stories are so exact, they think they're exaggerated. This is real stuff. How many of you know life is funny, man? Life is funny. If you're paying attention, you're going to catch some funny stuff in your life. This car was getting so old. I went to one door. I went to the door one night to put my daughter in the car. The door fell off. 
How many of you have had your car door fall off? Okay, see, some of you know. <clears throat> I mean, it's just this moment of like, and we're rushing out in an emergency. I mean, my wife and I, we got a phone call at like 2 o'clock in the morning. We're running out in an emergency. Baby's in the car. The door just falls off. What do you do? Pick it up, put it in, lock the door. <laughs> if I had a roll of duct tape on me, I would just duct tape that door, you know? So this car is getting pretty old. We're believers. We're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're serving in the ministry. We know God is our provider. God is our source. Man, we're just having fun. I am laughing. I'm thinking this is great material for when, when, when we get a little bit older. So six years goes by. I start telling the story. Uh, you know, it's not that easy when you're going through it. But this car is getting so old now. And I'm like, you know what? It's got 250,000 miles on it. We had a great run with this car. And it ended up actually dying. It's kind of a funny story how it died, too, because it didn't really die. It just didn't want to go in any direction but drive. So <laughs> reverse was drive. And uh, I just knew, okay, Lord, <laughs> it's time. It's time, Lord. We're ready for a new vehicle here. So uh, I have a point to the story, by the way. It's just so good. you got to walk it out. This stuff is great. So one day I come home from work. It's about 430 and I'm looking through the mail. You know, when, when you're waiting on God to provide, you're looking at everything, right? You're just like, okay, Lord, I know you're going to show me. But pastor keeps teaching us that if you have found a way for God to do it, guess what? He's probably not going to do it that way. So I go to the mail. Now, how many of you have ever received one of those advertisements in the mail, those car ads, where if the number matches when you scratch it off, if the does you know what I'm talking about? If the number matches, you're a guaranteed winner. You know where I'm going. Okay. Now, in the 21st century, they got a, they got a cool thing now. You pull the tab. If the, lit, if the number lights up and it's the same number as the number at the bottom of the page, you are a guaranteed winner. So I, I walk in. Now, come on. I'm a little ignorant here. I'm a little naive. I'm 23. You can bear with me. So about 23, 24 years old. And uh, I, I walk in the house and I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay, honey, you know, we got this thing from this uh, Hyundai dealership in Fall River. And it's like, it, look, if we, if we just scratch this off, <laughs> this is great. If we just scratch this and the number matches, man, it says we're a guaranteed winner. So what does Kurt McWilliams do? He scratches it. What does Kurt McWilliams find? The number is the same. Praise the Lord. Okay. Now, you know. What do you have to do? Next step is you got to pick up the phone and call the dealership. I call the dealership. Guy says, hey, that's great. You're a guaranteed winner of one of three things, okay? You're guaranteed to get something when you come out tonight. Now, I don't remember what it was. But I knew, okay, honey, we're going to hop in the car. we got to go. This is it. The Lord has given us a way. We are driving down to Fall River. We're skipping dinner. We haven't fed the baby. We're driving down to Fall River. We are a guaranteed winner, honey. Now, the guy and the salesperson on the phone says to me, you know what? In case you have won a car, make sure you bring the right information. So I'm going to the filing cabinet. I'm looking for all the information that I need. And we are packing up. We're going down. And uh, we're heading down to Fall River. And we get there. And, you know, on our way to Fall River, uh, we're starting to smell something in the car. You know, my wife's looking at me. And I'm like, it's not me. I don't know what that is. <laughs> we remember we got this baby in the back seat. We haven't really tended to. The baby's got a dirty diaper. So we're like, okay, we'll change the baby. This is too good to be true. Better off changing the baby after we get our brand new vehicle, right? So we're going to change the baby after we leave. We get to the dealership. We sit down. He punches his numbers in. And he's like, okay, great. You're a guaranteed winner. But guess what? It's not a vehicle. Can I go ahead and show you some of the cars that we have on the lot today? <clears throat> Don't you know that hit me like a ton of bricks? 
Because our culture has taught us if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And I'm pretty sure I had that moment where I call my mom and dad and I call my in-laws and they're just laughing. Not over the phone, but they know. (laughs) Did we let our daughter marry this guy? Yeah, we did. We did. We ended up, we didn't have a new vehicle, but we ended up with a poopy diaper, you know? So at the end of the day, it's all good. You know what, though, God does, just to finish the story for it, God does provide, because the car ended up dying in Shaw's parking lot. I told you it only goes, it only goes forward. So I was parked in front of a classic vehicle. It must have been like classical vehicle, classic vehicle day in the town that I live. And I go to reverse the car, and don't you know it goes right into this classic hot rod. Lily's in the back seat. My wife is making chocolate chip cookies. We live, we live close enough to the, st- to the house, uh, to the store, that we just left the car. We parked it. We talked to the individual. We left the car, and we walked back home. And I'll tell you what. I want to just tell you a great story. Let me just finish this for you real quick. Every vehicle from that moment on, the Lord has provided for. I have not paid for one of my vehicles. The Lord has provided for every single one. I don't know how. But he does. You see, the saying, it sounds too good to be true, works in our earthly life. But it has nothing to do with our Heavenly Father. Nothing. Absolutely nothing to do with our Heavenly Father. And that's what God is trying to communicate to us. That's why Jesus came. That's what he's communicating to us. God as Father. Remember how God revealed himself to Abraham. I am the Lord who provides. All those names that the Lord had given himself that he taught Abraham. This is who I am. There's no need to worry. You know, why does it matter how you perceive the scripture? Walking in today, you're probably thinking, what's the big deal? The rain falls on the just and the unjust. You don't know my story, Pastor Kurt. I want to tell you something. Your perception of God will determine your connection with God. You catch that? How you perceive God will determine how you receive from him and if you can receive from him. And ultimately, how we view God will determine how we share God to others around us. You know, if we view God as taskmaster, then he's always requiring something of us. He's never satisfied with our work. If we view God as simply a boss then we always have to prove ourselves to be accepted by him. And we got to put in overtime so that we're noticed. God is not boss. God is not taskmaster. He is father. He is father. And we need that to sink in. That's the whole reason Jesus is communicating this to us. He's saying, don't you know that God is so good that he even provides for his enemies. He even makes sure his enemies have food to eat. That's how good your God is. That's how good our God is. He's that good. But the thing is, it's not just enough that we know that. See, God is so good. He wants everyone to know. He wants everyone to know him as Father. You know, Pastor John has alluded to this, and we've shared this in the youth group. We struggle with the idea of father. Many of us struggle with the idea of father. 
You know, unlike any other relationship in this world, God designed the earthly father relationship very specifically. Did you know that? The earthly father relationship is supposed to be a direct correlation to the heavenly father relationship so that you see it in your mind. It's ingrained from childhood until adulthood. So the idea of connecting with the earthly father is not difficult because you connected with your father. Well, guess what? Sin stepped into the world and messed everything up. So now we have a lot of father wounds in our society, in our world today, which makes it difficult for people to receive God as father. Because they were wounded by their earthly father. What is a father wound? It's one of the reasons we really struggle. Many people struggle. Even if you're saved, even if you're born again because you realize that Jesus died for you, sometimes we take into our relationship with God the faults and the expectations, the misconceptions that we receive from our earthly relationships. And God's whole desire for us is to know him. Why does a Christian read his or her Bible? Why does a Christian pray? Is it so you can do great things for God? No, it's so you can know him. That's it. Your whole purpose, our whole purpose for existing is not to do work for God. Our whole purpose in existence is to know him. Did you know that? Did you know that? God is not looking for anything from you other than to know him. And I'm going to show that to you before the day's out. Now, those great works come as a natural byproduct of our relationship with him. But it's not why you're here. Many of us are working, 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 working because we view God as boss. We view God as taskmaster. And when I've done everything he wants me to do, then I'll be accepted. No, no. I just want to make a little side note here because a father wound could be different for every individual. As I've talked to a lot of different people and heard different stories, maybe your father just directly walked out. Maybe he did, and that left a serious father wound. Maybe your dad was like the one who stayed but wasn't really present. That leaves a serious father wound. Maybe your dad never gave you the affirmation and the love, or even still, maybe your dad passed away unexpectedly and you felt abandoned. Guess what? It happens. It happens. I want you to know today that I believe before our time is up that God is going to heal your father wound. I believe if, there, if you're in this place and you have a father wound, I believe with all my heart God's going to heal that wound today. You know, God cares about that wound. God cares about that hurt. What did Jesus say of himself when he went to the temple and opened up the scripture? What did he say himself? He said, today, this scripture that I'm reading is, is revealed in your sight. I came to heal the broken hearted and bind up their wounds. I believe the Lord will heal you before our time is done today, because how you perceive God will determine how you receive from him. God wants you to have everything from him that he's got to give you. How many of you are parents? Man, even though you want to stagger what you give your children so that they learn responsibility, you want to give them everything you got. You don't want to withhold anything from them. Our Heavenly Father is the very same way. Let's take a look at a few scriptures today. I want you to see this because I've shared this a couple weeks ago. I asked our youth group. I said, guys, what's your purpose in life? Why are you here? A lot of people are walking around and they have no idea what their purpose is in this life. 
And we go, okay, you know what? My, my purpose is to, is to be a fireman. My purpose is to someday I'm going to be the president. No, that's what you're going to do. But it's not your purpose. It's not your purpose. And that's such a subtle idea, subtle concept, that if we don't correct it, we live our whole lives thinking that what we do defines us. What you do does not define you. It's who you are. And rather, whose you are that defines you. I want you to share, I want you to see this with me. Go to John chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus is in his final days, final hours here, and he is having this intense prayer. I love this prayer because if you have ever wondered, does God really want me to see him as father? Jesus says at least three times in this passage of John 17, father, 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 father. Jesus didn't say master. He said, father, God wants us to know him as father. John chapter 17, Verse 3, Jesus is praying to his father, and he said to them, And this is eternal life, that they may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. Let me tell you something, no matter how old or how young you are, your whole purpose for existence, we've got to catch this. The whole reason we're alive is to know God and be known by Him. In the beginning, before sin stepped in, the whole purpose of God being there and Adam being there, they walked together. The implication in Genesis chapter 3 is that they spent time together in the cool of the day. And guess what? I'm going to show you today, when it's all said and done in Revelation chapter 21, God says, I will be with them. I myself will be with them. I will be God to them and they'll be mine. God's desire for us is that we be his. He's not looking for anything from you. This is such an important concept because if we don't receive this, we're not going to give it away. If we don't understand God as father, then when we try to teach people about Jesus, we're going to be teaching them, okay, you got to do this. Many of us came into our Christian walk thinking that we have a list of rules we have to follow. Sure, there are good things that we need to do. But it's not your good works that set you apart. It's not our good works that set us apart. It's that God counted us worthy enough by his blood, by his righteousness. In Philippians chapter 3, I love this scripture. You don't have to go there. In the Amplified Translation of Philippians chapter 3, this is Paul's cry. Paul says that I may know him. In the power of his resurrection. I love the Amplified Bible because it says that I may know him. That I may progressively become more intimately acquainted with him. Paul's whole purpose for existence, he realized, wasn't the great teaching that he was doing. Wasn't the great works as an apostle of Jesus. But it was to know him. Paul says, my intended purpose, amplified translation, my intended purpose is that I may know him. That I may become more intimately acquainted with him than ever before. It's important that we understand God's heart towards us. If you would look with me now to the book of Jeremiah, we're going to go back to the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 32. As I shared with you a few moments ago, God has two desires for us. The first desire that God has for us is that we know him. And the second desire that God has for us is that we be like him. Jeremiah chapter 32. When you get there, just shout at me. Okay, hold on. Now you're faster than me. I'm talking too much. 
We're going to go to verse 38. Let me just kind of set the, the background here for you before we dive into this. God had to teach his children some lessons by bringing them through some things. So he brought them through some things. He taught them some things, as every good father does. He brought them through. Now God is bringing them from, into the land that he wants them to have. And he is reminding them of his whole purpose from the beginning. And that's what we're about to read. He's reminding them of how it's going to be now that they have come through these lessons. In verse 38 of Jeremiah chapter 32, God says, They shall be my people, and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever, for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting, everyone say everlasting, Never-ending, never-fading, never-failing covenant with them that I will not turn away from them. I will not turn away from doing them good. But I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good. And I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. For thus says the Lord. If we have ever wondered about God's heart towards us, we can capture his heart and his character in this passage right here. God says, I will make an everlasting covenant to only do them good. In the book of James chapter 1, he says, you are mistaken. Every good and every perfect gift comes down. From the Father of lights, who does not change. He does not change. It is so important that we grasp who God is. Now, I shared this with you a few moments ago. With you, would you go with me? Because it's one thing to read it in the Old Testament. I just want to share this with you. It's one thing to read it in the Old Testament. But, you know, the Scripture tells us that every promise of God is true to us. Yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So if there's a promise that is in the scripture and it's a God promise that he gave to his children, guess what? That applies to us today. We are the covenant people that God is talking about right here. And if you don't believe me, I want to show it to you. Revelation chapter 21. I love reading the book of Revelation. Some people are so scared to read it, but I'll tell you what, it is so encouraging. Because life is tough, man. And sometimes you just need to know that there's an end that is coming. That God is going to put an end to all of this pain, all of this sorrow. And man, we're about to read part of that right here. Revelation chapter 21. What is God's heart towards you? Man, it is so important that we understand. Revelation chapter 21, I want you to go to verse 1. Now, we know the story. John is on the island of Patmos. Uh, You know, the belief goes that they tried to kill him and couldn't. And so he is here on this island. And uh, he has this whole revelation, this whole vision where Jesus shows up to him. My kids would say vision. He had a vision where Jesus is standing there. And he writes his vision so that we can see it. Okay? Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Now, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with 
them. Pause. How did it happen in the beginning before sin? Where was God? With man in the garden. How's it all going to end? With man forever. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. Why? Because the former things have passed away. Sometimes you just got to remind yourself of what it really is all about and how it ends. Be encouraged this morning. God loves you. You know, I love what Pastor John's been doing as we've been ending his, his series every week, singing Good, Good Father, and then he just looks at us and just tells us very intently and plainly, God loves you personally. And it's so true. And you know, one of the things that we have to realize, if we don't let that sink down deep inside, first of all, we're not going to be impacted the way that God wants us to be. We're not going to be whole the way that God wants us to be. Thank you, Bella. And secondly, secondly, we're not going to be able to give other people the wholeness that God wants us to give them through his son, Jesus. We need to be complete and we need to be whole to be able to give that. You cannot give what you do not have. As we've been saying, it's not good enough that we just know him. It's so important. The very first step, if you're just starting out today, the very first step is for you to know him. But it moves forward from there is to be like him. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 40, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, because Jesus tells us the whole reason we started this journey. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. So we read Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 and 44, where he tells us what to do with people who have hurt us. He tells us how we ought to treat our enemies. And then he tells us why. In verse 45, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. God wants us to be just like him. What does Ephesians say? Be imitators of God as dear children. Why? Why? Because Matthew 5, 13 through 15, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before all that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. See the good works we know are a natural byproduct of our relationship with God. Our good works are not what we do to be accepted by God. They're what we do because God has accepted us and he loves us and he's made us clean and pure in his sight. So that just flows out of us. But we can't just keep this to ourselves. God wants us to be like him. You know, it's interesting because in the book of Acts chapter 11, verse 26, the Bible teaches us that the term Christian, many of us today in our culture, although it's getting dangerous, many of us today in American Christian culture, you know, we're Christians and we're proud of that. But that term Christian wasn't originally a nice saying. Oh, it wouldn't be nice to be called a Christian back in the day when it first happened. It was very derogatory. It was very demeaning because what they were saying is, look at those people trying to be like Christ, those little Christs is how it translates. They're trying to be just like him. Yeah, that's the whole point. That's the whole point. We ought to be just like him. And when people look at us and they see how we live, how we treat our family, how we work, our ethics, they should be able to say, man, there is something different about you. You don't got to walk in there with a Christian t-shirt, Jesus in my homeboy hat. I mean, you can. 
You can. That's cool. Do you do you? That's all right. But they ought to see within you. They ought to see by how you live. That's what Jesus is telling us. And you know what? It doesn't just stop with doing good. I mean, Jesus, man, he just he just hits it. He says, listen, don't just do good to the people who do good to you. I'm going to really challenge you. He says, just bless those who curse you. How many of you have ever actually tried to live out the words of Jesus? It's like there's a fight within you. You're like holding yourself back. Well, I got to love you. It's hard. But he's saying by doing that, we're sons of our father who is in heaven. Because as we started out, he is so good. He is so good. That he doesn't withhold good from his enemies. And he expects us to do the same. He expects of us the very same thing. Now, we can't do it without the Holy Spirit. (laughs) We know that. It's a fight. And you know what? Lord knows sometimes we are doing it. Gritting our teeth. Sometimes we are. But you know, you know you've had enough life experience. You know as well as I do. When you do that... You know, we, I had this friend back in junior high school and high school. I went all the way through high school with him, and he was a very, very troubled individual. Ten years after high school, he finds me on Facebook. And, and he used to make fun of me all the time in high school. I mean, just, you know, in front of everybody, just really making you look a fool, you know? Making fun of me all the time. And ten years later, he reaches out. He says, dude, my life is a mess. I know there's something different in you. I've seen it. I've seen it. I even see it on your Facebook. I know there's something different. Can you meet me? Can you talk to me? Can you tell me about this Jesus? Can you tell me about this guy? I mean, this is like a Christian's dream, right? I mean, but you know, you don't often get that without going through the persecution. You got to go through. You have to stand in those times so that they can see that there's something different. And you got to love those who hate you. It's difficult, but the Holy Spirit will equip us to do it. He will. He surely will. Equip us to do what we need to do. As we wrap this thing up in just a few moments, I want to ask you this question. Why does God care so much about his enemies? Why is this passage even in the Bible? Well, the first reason is because we were all enemies of God. Did you know that? We were all enemies of God. Every one of us. No matter how good you have been, Pastor John has done an excellent job of teaching us that God's standard is his law. And guess what? If you have told one little lie, you can't be accepted. Thanks be to God that he gave Jesus who fulfilled the law. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. You don't want me to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. And thanks be to God that he did because guess what? He made us righteous by fulfilling that law. But if we have broken, according to God's standard, if we have broken one of the commandments, the scripture teaches us, if we have told one little white lie, we're disqualified. Look at this passage with me. Go to Romans chapter 5. Love this scripture. Romans 5, we're going to go to verse 6. For when we were... Are you there? Shout at me. Okay. If not, it's on the screen. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. What does it say? Who did he die for? 
the ungodly, a very important distinction. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more now having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You know, God didn't wait. Many of us don't come to Jesus because we're trying to clean ourselves up. God didn't wait till you were cleaned up to accept you. Do you know that? If you're sitting in these chairs right now and you're not coming to God because you're trying to clean yourself up, trying to break the addiction, guess what? There's no hope. Can't do it. It won't work. Pastor alluded, Pastor Ray alluded to it. The programs of man, they come so far. They can only go so far. They can only go so far. Don't wait. To clean yourself up. Because God reconciled us to himself when we were his enemies. We were his enemies and he brought us near through the blood of Jesus. We were weak and without strength and we couldn't do it for ourselves. But he did it for us. The first reason why God cares about his enemies is because every one of us was his enemy. Every one of us. But thanks be to God. The second reason God cares about his enemies is because God's not a loser. He's a winner. God is a winner. And guess what? You read the end of the Bible, I hope. He wins. He wins. Check out this scripture with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want you to go to verse 6. I'm sorry. Verse 18. Verse 18, are you there? Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. That word impute means to charge to your account. God could have charged our sin to our account, but he came in, swiped the card, and paid the debt. He didn't impute that. He didn't charge that to our account. He didn't impute their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are therefore ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God is not a loser. He is going to win. And he has equipped us with the same ministry that Jesus had, to reconcile the world to himself. That is the good news. Hey, guess what? You messed up your life? I'm going to tell you what. Jesus paid for that. Come to the cross. Jesus paid for that. You're stuck in sin. You're stuck in addiction. Guess what? Jesus paid for that. Come to the cross and be free from that addiction. Come to the cross. That's the message we're bringing the world. That's the message we're supposed to be bringing the world. Let's close this out with some practical application today. Two things I want to ask you. Hopefully in our time today, you've discovered, if you have never heard before, that Jesus is not mad at you. 
He's not looking for anything from you. God is not mad at you. He's not looking for anything from you. Many of us, the Bible teaches us in Hebrews chapter 4, that because Jesus has put on flesh, because he knows what it's like to be weak and tempted as we are, we have a high priest in him. In other words, we can come to him. The Bible teaches us we can come to him in our darkest hour, and he'll understand us, and he'll accept us. But you know what? Let's be honest with ourselves. Many of us don't always come to him in our darkest hour. There's a sin sense instilled inside of us that we're fighting against that just like Adam causes us to run from God. But God is saying, come. He's saying, come. This morning, I want to ask you something. What misconceptions do you have of God that stop you from coming to him? Even if you're born again. You know, we can be born again and saved and have our home in heaven and still not know God to the fullest extent that he wants us to here on this earth. What keeps us from coming to him? Right now, pull out your phone, pull out your tablet, on a notepad, whatever it is, however you take your notes, write down one misconception you may have about God. What, and how do I know that, Pastor Kurt? Because what stops you from coming in your darkest hour? What fear? There's a misbelief, there's a misconception in there that has caused you to stop, not come to the cross, and not come to God. If you can think of one, write it down. Write it down. After you have written that down, I want you to write down next to it these two scriptures. Because no matter what our misconceptions of God are, these two scriptures will answer it every single time. The one we just read, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. No matter what our misconception is, it's answered in there. No matter what, it's answered. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. The second one is the one I just alluded to. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, because we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weakness, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You don't have to be far from God in your darkest hour. He wants you to be near him. He wants you to come to him. The second and probably even more challenging thing I'm going to ask you to do today is on your tablet, on your phone, on your paper, write down one way you can demonstrate love to your enemies. One way you can leave today, move forward, and start showing love to your enemies. One way. One thing. As we started off this morning, I really shared with you and prayed and have prayed that if there's a father wound here in your life, something that has caused you, a lot of times it's the father wound that keeps us from coming to God. We read the Bible and we say to ourselves, we may not even realize it, okay, that's for the good people. That's for the people who actually have earned it. No, nobody can earn it. Nobody can earn it. My prayer today and my prayer has been that if there's a father wound, I believe that God's going to heal that right now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, I just thank you in the name of Jesus for your word which has come forth. I thank you for what you're doing right now in our hearts. Lord, I pray that the word that has come today will be planted deeply rooted in our hearts 
And that we would know you for who you are. That we would see you as you really are, Father. And that because we know you, that we would be like you. Now, Lord, I pray for every individual right now. Those in this room who may have a father wound. Whatever it is, I don't need to know it, you know it. Holy Spirit, would you just sweep through and begin to touch their hearts right now? Would you just move in this place right now? Move in this place right now. Move in this place right now. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, because I really, this is such a sensitive subject, a sensitive topic. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you actually might be born again and still have a father wound. I want to tell you, if that father wound doesn't get healed, you're never going to see God the way he wants you to. And if you have a father wound and you want God to heal you today, your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, I will not embarrass you. I just want you to let me know by raising your hand and then you can put it down. Just raise your hand for me because I want to be able to pray for you. Good, good, good. Once you've raised it and I've seen it, you can put it down. Good, thank you. Good. Good. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for every individual who has raised their hand that right now, by that admission, the Holy Spirit is sweeping through their heart sweeping through their heart, healing the brokenness. Healing the brokenness right now. Right now. In Jesus' name. Healing the brokenness. Right now, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now the rest of the believers in the house, just continue to pray. I want to speak to those that I, without embarrassing you, I just want to speak to you. So our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you had a father wound and you raised your hand, I just want you to just look at me right where you are. Don't stand, don't move, just look at me. You know, one of the things that we have to do, God has done the healing. The moment that we ask, he does the healing. Now our job is to forgive. Whatever that hurt is. As I mentioned earlier, even if dad passed away unexpectedly and that caused you to resent him or resent God, we have to forgive. We're taught to forgive and forget. Well, I want to tell you something. You have to forgive until you forget. You don't just forgive once and it's over. When that thought comes back, when that remembrance comes back, when that pain comes back, you have to speak from your mouth, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you, Dad. I forgive you. I forgive you. This works in every area of our lives in terms of forgiveness. We wrestle with unforgiveness because we're not really releasing it. When you forgive that person, you forgive them until you forget. And every time that thought, every time that hurt, every time that pain comes back, you say, I forgive you out loud with your mouth. I forgive you. And I'll tell you what, the pain will diminish. Because when you do that, the whole, you're giving room for the Holy Spirit to continue the healing. Because anytime you push against, he's not going to be able to do it. But you release that, I forgive you, and the Holy Spirit can begin to do the healing. So Father, in the name of Jesus, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. In the days and the weeks and the months to come, heal that brokenness in Jesus' name. 